So before we go into the Word of God, as always, let's just uh, enter into prayer and bow our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've gone to such great lengths that you have brought us back from being separated from you, Lord. And you have reconciled us back into an intimate relationship with you, Jesus. And that Jesus, you have shown us the way back to our Heavenly Father and our Creator, Lord. Lord, through all of these studies, through all of our talents, our gifts, we give you the glory, Lord, because you are the one who formed us and shaped us. You are the one that inscribed your word within our hearts, Lord. You performed open heart surgery. You took out a heart of stone and replaced it with flesh, a fleshly heart, a heart full of compassion, a heart full of love, and a heart that is sensitive to you, O Lord. So, Father, let us never forget the darkness that you brought us out of and the light that shines in us, Lord. And that we are to be your light bearers and we are to be your stars in this world, Lord. That as we shine your light and we share your love that has no conditions, that is never self-seeking, that is never self-focused, that is patient, that is kind, that is gentle and meek, but always delights in the truth. So Lord, this day, let your truth be spoken in love. In Jesus' mighty name, open our ears, open our eyes and our hearts for this message. We give you all the glory for who you are. Amen. So, we are at part 7, Jesus, the Word of God, DNA, and the design of creation. So, we've now covered the scientific, most of the scientific parts of it and all the intricacies of it in the rest of the series. But I just thought I'd just remind us and just, you know, just ask this question. We haven't asked, what is a gene? Genes are often called the blueprint for life because they tell each of your cells what to do, when to do it. It tells it to be a muscle or to make bone, to carry nerve signals and so on. And how do genes orchestrate all of this? Is They make proteins. So last week we discovered the formation of protein chains. So in fact each gene is really just a recipe for making a certain protein. And it's a precise recipe, as we have seen. And why are proteins important? Well, for starters, excuse the pun, <laughs> you are made of proteins. And 50% of the dry weight of a cell is protein of one form or another. Meanwhile, proteins also do all the heavy lifting in your body. Your digestive system, your circulation, your immunity system, the communication between the cells, 
um, and your motion, all of them are made possible by one or more of the estimated 100,000 different proteins that your body makes. But the genes in your DNA don't make the proteins directly, as we have seen. Instead, special proteins called enzymes read and copy or transcribe the DNA code. And this is what we're going to get into today, is, is the transcription, the RNA. And the segments of DNA can be transcribed and gets, like, unzipped. You know, for those who are familiar with uh, uh, computer programs, when we zip something, we compress a file. When we unzip it, we extract it and make it to its original site. So our DNA is in a compressed format. And then the RNA is like a key that opens and unzips the DNA. So it unzips and then which uses the DNA as a template to build a single-stranded molecule of RNA. Like DNA, RNA is long-stranded nucleotides. So the DNA, which is our book, as we have discovered in Psalm 139, the members of our book were inscribed in our embryo before we were even formed. And then the RNA, which stands for ribonucleic acid, and DNA is deoxyribonucleic acid, because one of the slight differences is the DNA contains a single less oxygen molecule, so that's why it is ribe and deoxy. That's the etymology of that word. And uh, the RNA literally is like a key that opens your DNA and looks for a particular word or segment, as we discussed, that there are words in our DNA called codons. There are start and stop points. And um, then it makes an, a replica of that. Now, the DNA, um, the base pairs... Uh, cytosine, guanine, adenine, and thionine. Uh, you don't need to concern too much about the names of it, but the rules uh, apply. But the, there's a slight difference with RNA, is that thymine is replaced with an enzyme called uracil. So with, uh, there's cytosine, guanine, adenine, and uracil is, is the opposite. So it's replaced with RNA. So Three of them are the same, and then one just changes slightly with the transcription. But the rules of combining are the same. So, for example, uracil will, will only combine with adenine or guanine. So you've always got that three hexagon joining. Okay, so as I said, the, all of this comes from our chromosomes, which are in the nucleus of the cells. And as that unravels, as it is folded up, um, if you can see, it sort of, you have what's the anti-sense strand and the sense strand, which are the, because as I said, it runs in anti-parallel, your DNA pillars or the strands. So you've got the anti-sense strand running the one way and the sense strand running the other way. So what RNA does, we'll, we'll go look for a certain gene or a certain sequence. And so this is summarized by the letters. So you can see on this particular image, it's looking for GCGGA. 
and then um, and, and then well that would be the stop point so it takes everything up to that point so um, if it sees there's a C then it replaces it with a G if it sees there's a T it replaces it with an A if you know so so it just replaces it follows the same rules but it copies as if it were the same rungs of the ladder um, the scientists get very technical about it, and I don't want to get too much. I just want to basically say that RNA follows specific guidelines, specific parameters, and literally copies, because RNA is used to produce new cells. As we know, our body, there are cells that are dying. You know, um, each person is different, but cells, our cells do, do die and decay. And what the RNA, RNA does is help to replace new cells or new growth. You know, like for example, you scratch yourself and uh, that scar tissue, that scab, and you know the skin grows underneath it and then the scab comes off. So what's happened there is actually your RNA has formed new skin underneath that layer. That's how incredible our body has been designed. So our body's recipe, so we have a cell and if you can make out here, in the inner cell you have your DNA, and then the, what the RNA does, it actually goes outside of the nucleus of the cell into the, um, the, the cytosome. And then so the transcribed DNA is what is called messenger RNA. So shortened, it's um, M, um, so basically because it leaves the cell and travels into the cytoplasm of the cell, and in the cytoplasm, this is where the protein factories are, called ribosomes. And they translate the mRNA code and use it to make a protein specified in the DNA recipe. So it leaves the nucleus, goes into the cytoplasm that surrounds the cell, and there are like literally factories inside there. Each cell contains a number of factories. They even have waste disposal systems in there, which is so amazing. And so then that protein will be produced. So remember, DNA is used to make RNA, and then RNA is used to make proteins, and proteins run the show, basically. Just put it very simply. Um, so we show, showed the building blocks of proteins was the base pairs into the amino acids, into the peptides into the polypeptides which forms a protein chain and that determines the function so the DNA is used to make RNA the RNA is used to make proteins and the proteins run the show in our body so here's just a, a simplified graph of it you've got the, the DNA the double helix strand so then it transcribes so transcription is to copy and then it translates into a protein and if you notice on the bottom you have the four which as I said the four base pairs make an amino acid and those are the joinings of that protein so there's a process of transcription and a process of translation how do you write or copy or translate a book in any language you know, I mean, firstly, the book has to be written by an author, right? <coughs> Somebody has to write it. Um, and within the book, you'll have a table of contents, you'll have your index, uh, you'll have your different categories, and then you'll have the structure of the sections, 
and with each, each chapter, you know, for those of us who did grammar at school, uh, actually grammar is interesting, it, it, it's the Greek word for scribe, is grammatica, and that's where we get the word grammar. And uh, so you'll have an introduction, you have your chapters and paragraphs, and you'll have your conclusion. So the rules for writing a book, there's an author, and there's a structure to a book. So then how do we copy that book? So to transcribe part or all of that book, so we want, might want to copy just a chapter out of it, or just a section from it, or we want to copy the whole book. So we choose what section we want to copy, and then we look for the section we want to copy, and then we copy letter by letter, word for word, into a new book. And then we do it accurately with no spelling mistakes. So if I have a copy of a book, and I, want to and I will write it down. This was before computers, you, you, now you just scan it on a computer. But pretty much the RNA does the scanning. But if we had to take it as you ascribe, you copy letter for letter accurately what was in the original book. So you make sure that the, there's integrity between the original copy, uh, the original manuscript, and the copy. Um, now say, for example, you want to translate this book. You know, because you've got somebody who speaks German or someone who speaks Spanish, and you want Spanish people to be able to read this book. And the book is written in English. So what would you do? You would choose the language that you would translate it into. You would follow the translation rules of both the source and the intended language. So you wouldn't lose the gist or the emphasis of it. So that a Spanish-speaking person can understand what the English book was written. And then what you would also then do is then you would publish and you would make available that translation to read and understand in the other language without losing the intention of that. That's the basic process of copying books. So now, in this session we're getting into the scribes and how the Bible was written. And we're looking at how the Hebrew texts were written in the days of Moses and currently today. And so if we understand that our DNA in ourselves and the RNA is the transcription and translation, and then, you know, he's, he's like the scribe. The RNA is like the scribe in our body. So what's interesting, the Hebrew word for a scribe uh, in English, it's called a sofa. Um, the Hebrew word, or, or safar, or sofar, is the actual Hebrew letter that's in the Old Testament. But what's it says is the properly to score with a mark as a tally or record, and that is to inscribe and also to enumerate intensively to recount. And uh, that is to celebrate, to count, declare, number, reckon, uh, speak, talk, tell, and write. So, the etymology of Hebrew words is a bit different to the English language. You know, they didn't have all the complexities of the, a lot of the words that we had today that the scientists have made. So, the Hebrew word generally, you know, each letter... And, and the way the letters were arranged give the meaning of that particular word. 
And you know, one day I was asking God, what are the meaning? And he said, all of them. The Holy Spirit said, all of them are the meanings. All of them can apply at the same time. This is why the Word of God is so simple, a child can understand it, but so deep, the most mature Christian can understand it. Is you've got depth in the Word, because of if you get to the root of the meanings. So today, the so far, basically what they are called are counter of letters. That is essentially what, what, what it means, the scribe. Is a counter of letters. Now, this is very, going to be very significant in studies that are coming down the line, and especially to Revelation. The scribe, he marks, he inscribes, he reckons the sum of, he counts the letters. Does that sound familiar to people? Many of us who know Revelation will be familiar to that, but I'm not going to spill the beans today. But So just bear this in mind, that God has chosen a special group of people to receive, record, and preserve His Word, and the Hebrew sofa, which means a counter of letters. And basically they are responsible. So, so what happened was, um, in the days of Levi, in the days of Moses, God gave uh, the law to Moses, and then Moses wrote the first five books of the law. And so you had Genesis, which was the prehistory. You had Exodus, which is the, uh, the, the birth of a nation, if you want to call it that. And you had the book of Numbers, the wilderness wanderings. Um, in between that, you had Leviticus, which is the law. Uh, and actually, there were very, very sensible laws, practical laws, on general hygiene, general upkeep of society, and rules and structure of society. Very, very sensible rules that the Levitical priesthoods followed. And in the book of Deuteronomy is five sermons from Moses that he gave at the end of his life. And those books he wrote. And that is, in, in the Hebrew, what they call the Torah. So, the scribes are responsible for, for the writing of Torah, which is law. They're responsible for writing of Nevim, which is the prophets. So, it's all the books of the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which are all the writings, like your psalm and your, your, your wisdom, you know, Job, the Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon's, Ecclesiastes, okay. And they're responsible for writing this, as well as, because you see what happened is the time of Moses, you had the Levit Levitical priests, and you had the religious leadership, but within that you also had the scribes. And uh, for those of you who know the book of Esther, Mordecai was a scribe. He was one of the Hebrew scribes in the court of Persia. Um, so, basically, the, these scribes, are, and, and obviously they're not like any other scribes. So, when the average person writes, they write quickly and from memory. But the writing of a sofa is very slow and very deliberate. A very rough estimate required for a sofa's time would be that they would write one sheet per week. So you see what happened is, after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the Jews no longer had anywhere to, put, to, to bring their burnt offerings and their sacrifices. Without a temple, what did the Jews have to practice? So the Judaism that is practiced today is not the same Judaism that was practiced at the time of Jesus. And we're going to get into the different stages. So that was Mosaic is what is called Moses, Mosaic Judaism. 
And then in about 200 AD, they got together and formed what was called the Masoretic Judaism, which is currently the Judaism that is practiced today. And so these sophas are the Masoretic scribes. Okay, so I just want to make that distinction. And so they write one sheet per week, and there's an average of 52 sheets per Sefer Torah. So for each Torah, there's the, uh, that's the name that they call the books of the law. So it's one column per day, six lines per hour, and three letters per minute. This is how slowly and deliberately they still to this day write the, the letter of the law. It's actually mind-blowing when you think of actually... And, and they still take it. And the thing is, at the time of Moses, the scribes were very serious. They, were, they had a, a, a deliberate process for writing. And they would write it on the, the vellum, which is the animal skins, and it would, or on a papyrus scroll. And if they made a mistake, they would have to start again from the beginning. This was the mosaic Judaism. So the scribes were very, very deliberate. They made sure that not one stroke of the pen was out. And if they had to made it, they had to restart from the beginning. And then there was a whole process to consecrate that scroll and make sure that that scroll was not used because it contained an error. So that was the Mosaic Judaism. But the Masoretic Jews, the Sophers, have the ability to write, but they also have the ability to repair the Torah. This is a big distinction. In the Moses' day, they never repaired the scrolls. They wrote new ones. Okay, so, um, a sofa's time. So, this is a quote from Mordecai. Um, and, there, and you might see S-T-A-M or, is just their qualification. It's like a degree. It's like a BCom or a, a BSEC that they have. And that, that gives them the qualification to, to write the scrolls to write the mezuzahs, to write the phylacteries, and we'll get into those at a later stage. But just to basically say that the scrolls were very deliberate. So for them, I mean, this makes each letter valuable, and the sofa, get this, is paid per letter he writes. So per letter he writes, he gets paid. Um, and the sofa must be trained and certified uh, much in the same way as working under the tutorship of a master craftsman. And to be a sofa is similar to being in a guild. And for those of you who remember the Revelation studies last year, the guilds in the seven churches, same story here. So there's a guild of scribes. And um, the guilds still exist today in the liveries in the city of London. Um, there is a lot of training involved, and also they have to have a stamp of approval by an elder, which is highly coveted. So this is a very serious training and a very serious profession. But something happened to the people of Israel, and something happened to the law, especially at the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, when they went and we, we, we basically where they were exiled in Babylon. And hence I started with the Babylon song. Something had happened to the people. And God had sent prophet after prophet. And um, so in Isaiah 33 verse 18, he says, Your heart shall dwell on terror. It says, Where is the scribe? And, and, and 
in the the yellow I've marked what it what it, the Hebrew means to mark to number to take account of or to reckon and where is the one weighing is um, this is like a treasurer or an accountant today yeah I mean to weigh or weigh out or pay out and where is the one counting the towers that word counting there is also so far so the word count in the Hebrew is used as the same so when, when, when um, in David, Psalm 139, it says, I cannot count the number of thoughts. What are thy thoughts of me? How can I measure the number of thy thoughts of me? I, cannot, I can count them as the number of, of um, grains in the sand. It's the same word that's used. So counting and scribing and marking is the same Hebrew word. Um, and, and what this, this means, the, the towers, is like an elevate, elevated stage or a pulpit. But it also can mean a pyramid. Um, so, here, Isaiah is giving, or the Holy Spirit is giving Isaiah a big critical message to the people and saying, well, where are your scribes? Where are your leaders on your pulpit? Where, where are your treasurers? Um, you know, and... And this is just before their exile. And, um, and then he says, in a few verses after that, he says, But for the Lord is our judge, and the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king, and he will save us. So they, they had shifted their focus away from God. And they'd become so focused on the religious eldership and the leadership, and being focused on the scribes and the money gathering, that they'd actually lost what the law was all about. It was all about God, Jehovah. And in, in, in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6, this, this gives an understanding to that verse which we've covered. It says, Who also has made us able ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit makes alive. This, ver this verse has been misquoted so many times. This is what this is referring to. The letter of the law killing, whereas the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and through Jesus the quickening of our spirit that brings life. It's not the law that's the problem. It's the letter of the law. Because the letter of the law, if you look at a scribe and what they do, they were all about to the point, you know, that is how it must be implied. But then they forgot about who they were serving, about who they were worshipping. And so Jeremiah also raises this in, in, when they are exiled to Babylon. And he actually says, it's the lying pen of the scribes. He says, why has this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a never-ending backsliding? You know, it wasn't just the, it's not just Christians who backslide. <laughs> you know, the whole nation had backslidden. And they hold fast to deceit and they refuse to return because God would raise up a prophet, but they would not hear. And I listened and I heard, but they did not speak right. And no, ba no man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? And everyone turned in their own courses. So everyone went their own way. The prophets were sent, but they didn't listen. Then the people didn't repent. They carried on with their own business as normal. And as the horses rushes into battle, and, 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 and this in the Hebrew is implying that the horse just goes blindly into battle. 
There's no one out there holding the reins. The horse just charges. And <laughs> you've got to love the Holy Spirit here. It says, yea, and the stork in the heavens knows her seasons. And the turtle and the crane and the swallow watch the time of their coming. And this is like, the, he's talking about the migration of birds. The birds know when they must migrate. They know when it's winter and when it's summer. And he's saying, yeah, but my people do not know the judgment of Jehovah. It says, how do they say we are wise and the law of Je Jehovah is with us? And the word low in the Hebrew is no. It's like, no, definitely not. Certainly, the lying pen of the scribes has written falsely. And the wise are ashamed, and they are terrified, and are captured. And lo, they are turned away from the word of Jehovah, and what wisdom is in them. This is where things changed. So that the prophets revealed this. And in a previous session, it says, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Because what happened in Babylon is they started adopting a lot of the practices which the Babylonians were following. And a lot of the mystical Judaism or the Kabbalah that came out of Babylon was mingled together with the scribes and with the leadership and with the Pharisees and the Sadducees um, at that time. So the, the, the original Mosaic Judaism, the, the purity of the law, had been made impure and the people were, uh, what did, uh, the, the Holy Spirit calls them a stiff-necked people, a rebellious nation. But now in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For truly I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass away. Has that happened yet? Heaven and earth are still here. And he says, not one yacht or one tittle shall in any way pass from the law until all is fulfilled. So everything is completed. And therefore, whoever shall relax on one of these commandments, the least, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a very, very strong warning from Jesus to say, He's come to fulfill the law, but if you teach the law, and this is why I stand here before you in fear and trembling and work out these teachings, because every word I speak, I know God holds me accountable for. Because to teach the word, or to scribe the word, is, is a responsibility. It's just like being in an eldership position, in a leadership position, in a fellowship. Because the role is to nurture and nourish the flock. And to, to, to teach correctly. And so, here Jesus is saying that the least of the person in the kingdom will have more righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees of that day. And he has a, um, just want to explain, I mean, I thought I knew what a yacht and a tittle were. Um, 
But this week, the Holy Spirit showed me something very different. Now, with the Masoretic scribes, the way they scribe the Torah now, the law, they have what are called Hebrew trope, which are accent points, and like the decorative hook, or a pause, or a full stop. Those are the tropes that are to accent certain emphasis on certain letters of the law. And then the Hebrew language doesn't have all the vowels like we have. It doesn't have A-E-I-O-U. So there are pronunciation points that they add to surround the letters of the law. But these accents and these points only came into existence after 200 A.D. through the Masoretic scribes. The Mosaic scribes did not have these accent points on the letters. And this is what sends chills down my spine, is because you've seen these Hasidic Jews with their hair, and their braid, and the guys at the wall, and they're like banging their heads almost at the wall and they're bowing like this and you can and they're busy chanting something and you're thinking what's what's going on here this is what they're doing and they call it cantillation the cantillation is the ritual chanting of the readings from the hebrew bible in the synagogue services the bible never teaches us to chant doesn't teach us about mantras and all of these things. So here, clearly, is showing, it says, and these chants were written and notated in accordance with the special signs and marks printed in the Masoretic text of the Hebrew Bible. So they've added this layer. I mean, this is a big revelation this week in prayer. I was like, whoa, okay. So then I ask God, what is a yacht and a tittle? So if we look, what is a yacht and a tittle? Okay. Now being a sefer, they are counter of letters. Okay. Um, or so far, is a counter of letters. So in the Torah, there are 304,805 letters in the first five books. This is Hebrew letters. Okay. So, when Jesus said not one yacht or one tittle would pass from the Torah, he was making reference to the word yacht, which is the most common letter used in the Torah. It's used 31,530 times. And to the tet, which is the tittle, which is the least common letter used. This is what Jesus is referring to. The most common letter and the most least used letter in the Bible. In the detail. So, if we do quick maths on that, I mean, so that basically covers, it's just like saying from A to Z, pretty much, or Alpha and Omega, from beginning to end, all the letters. And last week we, we showed you how the law of God always points to Yahweh, always points to Yod He, Vav He. The unpronounceable name of God. There are many more in intonations to that, but if you pronounce his name, this building will break. Um, and yeah, this is God gave Moses some keys that spritz apart the waters of the Red Sea. And um, yeah, God willing, 
there will be a, a time to chat about that. But so basically, um, Yahweh um, in Leviticus, we discussed uh, the gematria that, that Hebrew letters and Greek also have numeric values. And uh, you can even um, count based on the position that they're written, because Hebrew is written from right to left. Um, but also, as uh, you can also count them as a numerical value. So, I mean, if we had to do it in English, you know, A would be 1, you know, B would be 2, C would be 3, etc., etc., etc. But, uh, yeah, their, their lettering system works slightly different. So, anyway, the, the, the law always points to God, and that's basically what's written in these letters. But now what's interesting in the books of Law of Moses is there's something that the Sofar today call what's the, they call it the control key. Okay? And this is the middle letter of the law. The middle letter of the Torah. And so if, if you take the 304,805 letters in the scroll and you divide it in half, you end up with um, you know, 152, 403 and a half on each side. Okay? And so, and obviously written from right to left, they're starting Genesis 1 this side and they're ending with Deuteronomy this side. So not the way we write. So now that verse takes us to Leviticus 11 verse 42. Now this is talking about the letter of the law. Um, you can see that picture is highlighted. That particular letter, the scribes go over that letter four times. So it's thicker and bolder than the rest of the letters. I just want to just highlight, so compared to the, the rest of the writing, they go over that four times to accentuate, and that's what they call the middle of the law. Let's see what the Holy Spirit has to say about this one. He says, there, and, and, and this is how the Sophars look at this. It. It there is a saying, there is a middle letter of the Torah, and that once the Torah is written, the Sophar will start counting from the beginning of Genesis, and 152,403 letters later will land on the spot of Le Leviticus 11.42, to the third letter of the word Gahon, which means belly, and the, the letter will be above, which is like our W. And then the sofa will start at the back of the Torah and count forward 152,403 4, letters and will land on the exact letter above in Leviticus 14.42. And this is called the middle letter of the Torah. What does this verse say? Actually, the whole chapter of Leviticus 11 is actually all about kosher and unkosher. It's about clean and unclean dietary animals and requirements. And this Leviticus 11.42 says, and anything going on its belly, I've highlighted there, and anything going on all four, and, every, any, and all having many feet, even every swarming thing that swarms on the earth, you shall not eat them, for they are an abomination. What is most interesting here um, is obviously this is referring to things with animals with a cloven hoof. Um, they were 
unkosher, unclean, so you couldn't eat those animals. Also, there's an illusion here. There's a, this is this is going to hit you between the eyes because one of them is swarming things, locusts. We also know something about locusts. Keep this in the back of our mind and remember this about locusts. The locusts were one of the plagues, obviously, in Egypt, in the Exodus, and the Pharaohs. But there's also some, some other locusts that are coming in Revelation too. Okay. But what's interesting here, so this is God is saying, for they are an abomination. But this word belly is not the same word belly that is used in a Psalm 119. It's translated as belly, but it's not the same word. Well, it's Psalm 139, that's correct, yeah. Because this is the one where we are formed from the embryo from our mother's womb, from the belly of the mother's womb. That word, it's a different word that's used in Hebrew. This particular word, belly, only occurs twice in the Old Testament. Can anybody else guess? Mike? Well, I guess referring to Satan moving uh, on his belly after the curse. Hey? This is it. No accident. Well done, Mike. Well done. The abomination of the belly. The word belly, gachon, and what this word means is the source of the fetus. And uh, this is so hard for me to say, but this is the spirit that's behind abortion and infanticide today. This is the spirit. Life is created from embryo. There's no choice. Life is made, is formed. As I said, a baby girl is born with all of her eggs necessary for her whole life in the womb. And this is the same spirit that is behind this planned parenthood. This pro-choice, it's a woman's right. No, life is in your belly. And the same spirit is here. And this is the same word that is used to curse Lucifer, the serpent. And in Genesis 3 verse 14 it says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast in the field, and upon thy belly. Thou shalt go, and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. And we have to move past our Sunday school image of the snake in the Garden of Eden. Because the word here is nachash. It's not snake. It's not a serpent. The nachash, it, what it means, it, it actually it comes from the sound that it makes. It says properly to hiss like a snake. So they put serpent in there. And this is what it says, a whisperer, a magic spell, to prognosticate, it's this, this whole cantonation, these, mas uh, these mantras, um, to divination, enchantment, enchanter, 
learn by experience, you know, as, as by, um, you know, looking diligently to observe the stars and the, the astronomy. Um, astrologers, charming, divination, it's all of these abominable practices is tied up into that word. He's saying charms and enchantment. That's what the Hebrew talks about. And, and Lucifer, the, the angel of light, the dragon, in Isaiah 14 verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, to thy belly, and which did weaken the nations? And in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14, it says, And no wonder, since Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And the word Lucifer here is halal, which means light bearer, the shining one, the morning star, the Lucifer. That is what, that's where the name comes from. It's one of his titles. And this is another study on Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. But the Nachash and the Lucifer, the hissing and the shining, or, and this, this is the Illuminati. And last year I spoke about, I mean, last week I spoke about us being the real stars, the illuminators in Christ, being the lights of the world. So when, when the Hebrew gives us is a very precise language and it gives us the detail of this. But this is the spirit, this is the prince of the power of the air, this is the spirit that, that, that now has, you know, is in charge of our systems in this world. What we need to understand is just as I said, through the pillars, Jesus uh, predicted his first and his second coming. His first coming in his strength was to reconcile us back to God, to provide us a more excellent way, to provide us a way and a truth and a path to everlasting life. And in, and in that process, he brought every single supernatural power, every ruler of darkness, dominion, wickedness, principality, under his feet. So supernaturally, he's brought everything under his feet. That is the victory and authority that us as Christians stand on. On his authority and his victory. Now when Jesus comes the second time, as in the second pillar, it says, He will establish. So, He will establish His kingdom here on earth. And this is when peace will come. Because He will then bring the earth as His footstool. He will bring all of the nations on the earth into submission to Him. This is the difference. So the supernatural powers, there is the victory. But on the earthly nations, we still see all these things happening. But as Christians, we have to remember God has already won. We need to stand on this authority. We, we don't need to stand on our back foot and plug the holes like Van Dyke in that, that dam. Trying to stop the leaks. Trying to be on the defensive. 
We need to be on the offensive in our life supernaturally because our weapons are mighty by God, not of this world. They are spiritual for bringing down every single stronghold and taking captive every single thought by the name of Jesus. The Lord rebukes the enemy in every circumstance. So this, he has no power over the church as Christians. So we need to stand in the victory that God has given us. And now this is what... Yeah, the Holy Spirit making me fired up here. But we really... It's time to grow up and step up as Christians. And stand firm on the rock that is immovable because our house is built upon the rock. Jesus Christ Himself. So no matter what storm comes, we are on a rock. And the, the winds can be whatever speed, whatever circumstance, our eyes are on Him, Jesus. He's the one who takes us. He's the calm in the storm. What's most interesting, that scripture Isaiah 40 verse 31, I'm digressing now. But when it talks about, for those who hope upon the Lord, or those who wait upon the Lord... That word wait is not a passive word. It's, a, it's an active word. For us, we think waiting is sitting back. No, it's not. For those who, whose hope is in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall walk and not grow faint. They shall run and not grow weary. And they shall what? They shall mount on wings as eagles and soar above the storm. The one thing about an eagle, he can see that they can see for miles. He can see that storm coming away. He doesn't go through that storm. He flies above it. So it's about time as Christians we learn to look through the word that gives us is the lamp to our feet and the light unto our path. And that we will not stumble on these things that the devil tries to lay in front of us. But that we are above it. And we live in the victory of Christ. And so... This meek and mild, as a, to be a Christian, is not to be meek and mild. It's to live in abundance and blessings and to live in the strength of the Lord. What is it? The joy of the Lord is my strength. We sing this hymn, but do we mean it? Do we live it? And, and the Holy Spirit gives us a zeal and He stirs us up. Because I read something this week which grieved me so much. There are, there, there are people teaching things about Christians, and, which is not biblical. You know, and one of the things they come up with is that Christian men are bored. Christian women are tired. No! We're not. And we're not defeated. The enemy is a defeated foe. And so we have to change our point of view. My father taught me as a young man, the glass is half full or it's half empty. So if you look at a circumstance, am I going to empty this glass or am I going to fill this glass? But I want to say this here today, that the life as an overcomer, as a believer in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, the name above all names, our cup overflows. That's where we should be. Not in half full or half empty. Overflowing with Him. And this is 
going to get into now the situation when Jesus, why every time he came across the Pharisees and the scribes, he had such righteous anger to tell them and such rebuke to them because he had these leaders, these pulpits, the scribes, the writers, the teachers had led the nation of God, his people away. And you den of vipers, you snakes. I mean, he cut them down every single time. And the reason for this is because they had corrupted, they had got so focused. And the other thing that I didn't include here was the Mishnah, is because the, the, the rabbis, they love to write. They love to write. They've written so many different interpretations of this particular law and this particular thing. So they were placing more emphasis on the writings of the rabbis than they were on actually the Word of God. And placing all these little things on tradition and ritual. But yet, they were not following the law. They were not following the first commandment. is Thou shalt love the Lord your God. The Lord our God is one. And thou shalt love the Lord your God with... And this is important, this sequence. It's with your heart, with your soul, then with your mind, and then with your strength. So it comes from within, not the other way around. And the Holy Spirit convicted me of this, is that, you know, so when I say faith comes from hearing the word, it should go inside, not into our mind. Being a Christian is not an intellectual exercise. So, the word Pharisee, what it actually means is separated one, or separatist. And in Jesus' last words to his church in Revelation, he actually talks about the Nicolaitans, uh, uh, Nicolaitans, there we go. Um, and, you know, talking about the laity, the people that raise themselves above another. And this is what this is. This is actually a beamer seat. A beamer seat was a, was a raised platform with which an oracle could speak in the Greek world. And that was the time when Jesus was there. That was, so anyone who was an orator or a speaker would raise himself on a platform and speak. And this is what the Pharisees were. So they were separated. So they were, you know, and there was uh, um, a one-year apprenticeship. And uh, their aim was the strict interpretation, the keeping of the law on all matters, especially on tithing and ritual purity. This is traditions. This is dead religion. There's no life. There's no spirit. It's on going through the tradition of being in, you know, and, and some people call it a religious spirit or whatever, but the Bible calls it the traditions and the commandments of men. Um, Isaiah mentions it as well as uh, Peter. Um, and, and their goal was to keep the letter of the law. See, the letter was important. And their means was by religious policing. So they were the religious thought police, if you want to call it that. Those of us who grew up in apartheid, we know what the thought police, we, we all, but this is exactly it, the religious thought police. And their place of influence was the synagogue and ex ex exclusivity. You know, it, it, they were above everybody else. 
and they were highly respected and Nicodemus was one of them and this is the man who Jesus said you must be born again and interestingly so was Paul or well, he was called Saul then but Saul was educated by Gamaliel who was one of the most respected and highest I mean, actually still today Gamaliel is still recognized as one of the greatest scholars of the Hebrew texts and Paul was educated so he was a Greek of Greeks and a Jew of Jews when he says that and he was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin and what did he say I count it all as done because it's all about Christ so Paul was in this club and if you remember Paul he, he grabbed the garments of the priests when they were stoning Stephen and this is the guilt that Paul carried around with his life he carried this around with him this guilt that he was part of the persecution of the church because actually when he was on his way to Damascus he, he was carrying a letter from the, the elders to persecute the church and to kill the Christians and that's when Jesus came down same again if you notice Paul yeah he never saw the same again every single one of Paul's letters were dictated to they were written by another scribe or just that but yeah <laughs> the last verse but yeah he had uh, uh, somebody to write the letters for him okay and now the scribes <laughs> this guy put the slides together you're gonna love it it says they were the lawyers of the day um, and the accountants probably so um, these were learned people well versed in the law they were copyists, teachers and interpreters explaining the meaning of the law and how it should be kept they were also highly respected and many of the Pharisees were also scribes and if the Pharisees are the practitioners of the law then the scribes were the theologians or the seminarians of the law and how true we see this today if we look at theologians today they really are so focused on the letter of the law and they're losing the heart and intention of it and you know Jesus his authority is the ultimate authority and he has a picture of what was Moses Moses's seat it's a replica that seat is in the, the main synagogue in Jerusalem at the moment but that's a replica of Moses's seat and these Pharisees used to sit in this seat of authority but in Matthew 7 Jesus says when Jesus had finished saying all these things the crowds were utterly amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them like a person who had authority not like their scribes and so yeah I think we'll end with this today the Pharisees and the Sadducees um, I think that's the Holy Spirit let him take it and it's um, woe to you the teachers of the law and Pharisees you hypocrites you travel over land and sea to win a single convert and when you have succeeded you make them 
twice as much a child of hell as you are. Sobering words. So, Jesus, take your glory. Thank you for your word, Lord. And, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Everything by design. So, if anyone has any questions, looks like next week we'll carry on with this. <laughs> but well done, Mike, for picking that up. But it is, that word is, appears twice in the Hebrew text, the belly. The question are there in the, in the, uh, in the Jewish uh, alphabet? There are 22 letters in the, the Hebrew alphabet. Um, and hence I also said that uh, there are 22 chromosomes that a mother and a father, the seed and the egg, provide for the new baby. And then the 23rd chromosome is the X and Y chromosome. That is the sex chromosome. So the 22 chromosomes contain the genetic markers, the inherited genetic traits. So your children will contain your genes. And, and each parent gives 22 chromosomes. And the mother will always provide an X chromosome, and then the father provides an X or a Y. And if it's XX, then it's going to be a baby girl, and if it's X and Y, then it will be a baby boy. And that is where this, the sex difference occurs. But as far as the other two 22 chromosomes, as we saw, the picture of them, they look just like letters under the microscope. They are letters inscribed in our book and as and the scripture talks about genealogies and generations and lists the generations for a reason and that's in, and, and they actually in heaven is a book of generations that is one of the books that God will open on the great right white throne because there are many books in heaven not just the book of life yeah, the books will be opened. Do you know that there is a book of tears? That every tear that we shed is recorded in his book in heaven? And there is a vial of prayers underneath the throne of God that contain every single prayer that has ever been said throughout history and every single prayer that is still yet to come God keeps that as a sweet savor a sweet smell the prayers of the saints and as we've talked about through this series that the light the kaleidoscope of colors the the worship the song the um, the love the sweet smell as a Christian. What savor do we give off? Or what flavor do we give? And it's the same, the scripture refers to salt. It says, what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? You know, and, and, and we are also, just as we are the light of the world, we're the salt of the world. And salt, what's interesting, contains the minerality 
in salt, in pure salt. The stuff we buy in the store, they've taken all the minerals out and they've iodized it, they've de-iodized salt, irradiated it, deliberately. Uh, and that will be part of the series of corrupting the design. But the fact is, if you look at the Dead Sea salt, and you look at some of the Himalayan salt, there's actually, you can get Kalahari salt as well. There's, uh, um, you might know where the salt pans are, up in Namibia. Balfour's Bay. Bay, yeah. The salt pans there. And, and those salts still contain all of the, the minerals and the elements that are, are needed because remember I mentioned that our body contains non-essential and essential amino acids. So the non-essential amino acids are the ones that are synthesized in our body. The other amino acids actually come from our diet. So all of those vitamins, all of those minerals, all of those things that we need to fuel our body. It's a balance. Yeah. <laughs> But um, thank you everybody for being here. Are there any prayer requests? Anybody in need? We thank God for answering prayer for Yvonne and the blood clots. Yeah, there's no blood clot God cannot cure. Uh, there's no ailment He cannot cure. Uh, I just want to encourage everybody. Let's, let's walk like a Christian. Let's stand up and be counted. Not as a letter, but as a child of God. Yeah, that's that's the hope that we should be giving. So let's pray and have some communal prayer and give him all the glory. Holy Spirit, 
We need you so much. That we thank you and worship you for all you do for us. Far more than we even realize. Thank you.
What a mighty God we serve. What an all-conquering God. Lord, there is only one superpower in the universe, and that is you, Lord. The nations are like dust in your sight. You know, the grass withers and the flowers fade as you breathe your wind upon them, Lord. But Lord, you have taken such time with each and every one of us. You have brought such diversity into us, Lord. You've created such complexity. But yet in the simplicity of your truth, you set us free, Lord. So Father, I pray that we will remain in your word as your disciples. Discipleship is about growing and standing up in the knowledge of who you are. It's about you, Jesus. And then you teach us. You are our teacher. You teach us who we are in you. And we, every single one of us, have a role to play. And let us be ready to preach the word in season and out of season, Lord. Even your word said the birds know when it's time to migrate. Incredible. The swallow knows when it's time to fly and follow the summers, Lord. Give us the discernment in this day, Lord. To be able to listen to your voice. Our good shepherd, we know your voice. Give us the discernment to be able to follow and to hear you, that, Lord, that as you keep us on this narrow path, this constricted path, that will lead us into the narrow gate that leads to eternal life, Lord. Because wide is the gate and many will find it, Lord. But rather, Lord, you will leave that 99 and you will go and fetch that lost sheep. And you will bring that person back into your flock. I pray this day for the backslidden. I pray for the lukewarm. I pray for the comfortable. I pray, Lord, that you stir us up. Stir our hearts inside, Lord God. Set us ablaze with you, with your zeal, with your light, with your salt and your love, Lord. And let your church Stand up in what she believes in. Let your bride stand up, unwavering, uncompromising. Stand under the authority in the Word of God. Because, Lord, my oath is with you. My vow is with you, O God. Because you are the author and you are the finisher of all of our faiths, Lord. So bring increase this week, Lord. Bring abundance, Lord. Bring joy. The joy of the salvation, Lord. Let us rejoice in you. Let us leave this place, our hearts lifted up, edified by your word, celebrating who you are. And Lord, that we celebrate who has come to this world and not what has happened in this world. But rather that you are coming soon, Lord. Come back again, Lord Jesus. That is our prayer as your bride.
but prepare us, Lord. Let our lamps be full of oil so that we will be ready to receive you when you do come. And keep us in urgency, in eminency, to know that you could come at any moment, Lord. But let us be ready. Let us not say, tomorrow you will come. Let us live like you are coming today. We give you all the glory for who you are. And in Jesus' name, we bow our knee, we bow our hearts, and we confess that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Word of God of all in all.